today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Eventually, we're going to come out of this. I mean, I'm hoping that's going to be the case anyway. Uh, and it's just a matter of when this is going to happen. But when we do, there are lessons that need to be learned about this. Uh, government's going to have to have a role in this, obviously. And we know that the federal budget is coming out in just a few days now. And there is a great deal of concern about what's going to be included or what might not be included in this. But as many people are telling us, uh, the concern about women's employment and the way that they've been impacted during the pandemic absolutely must be addressed. Global's and Gaviola has some of the details for us. When employment fell off a cliff at the onset of the pandemic, industries dominated by women, service, travel, tourism, events, bled jobs, and many haven't come back. Economist Armin Yalnizyan coined the term she-session. I think it is impossible to have a recovery without a she covery. She says a different kind of downturn requires a different kind of solution, one that focuses on the so-called caring economy, the often unpaid hours of work, the majority done by women to take care of children, the elderly, and those unable to look after themselves. Rolling school and daycare shutdowns have erased decades of employment gains for women. Labor market experts say the federal budget needs a solid plan to create a national child care system, tools to help workers reskill, and financial incentives for employers to provide more flexibility at work are needed. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. I guess the big question then is, is, is government listening? And are they actually going to act on it this time? Joining us to talk about this is Tanya Van Beeson, who is the Senior Vice President of Global Corporate Engagement with Catalyst Canada. Tanya, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could be with us today. Thanks. Glad to be here. Uh, we know the numbers. We we know. I think we know by now the predicament that uh, that we're in here, especially when it comes to the impact that this recession and uh, this pandemic has had on female employments and people in the workplace. Do governments get that message, and are they ready to act? I think governments get the message. Uh, separate question: Are uh, in terms of are they ready to act? I think those are two separate things. We've never faced a situation like this before. We've never faced a she session. Historically, men have been disproportionately affected by recessions because they have been the disproportionate workers. In this case, uh, we've had more women employed leading up to this uh, pandemic. And then we've, of course, women have been overrepresented in the industries that were just noted uh, in your clip. Because we've been talking about this for years in, in various levels of government and, and different political parties, and they all seem to have their own take on this. I mean, you know, the uh, the, the conservatives under under Stephen Harper, and I guess even under Aaron O'Toole and, and Andrew Scheer, uh, propose things like tax credits uh, for, for daycare spaces. And, and that we know that's not going to cut it. That's, that's not the solution. Uh, it's going to take money, and it's going to take commitment from the federal government. Uh, and and I, I guess that's what we're looking for here is, is quit talking about this and show us a plan and show us how you're going to fund this yeah i mean there's a couple of there are there are near-term things we need to do right now women are disproportionately uh unemployed and as we know through various reports and in fact a great report from uh rbc economics women have left the workforce and they've they've left the workforce permanently the longer they're out of the workforce because their industries are not coming back whether it's events or hospitality or you know all of these service industries um, the more their skills are going to atrophy, the more it's going to be hard for them to get back into the workforce. So in the immediate term, they need to receive some level of compensation in order to just survive, pay their rent, buy food, support their children. That's job one. Job two is we do need a national child care strategy. So that's where the feds and the provinces need to work together. This patchwork of child care where you, uh, if you live in a large 
center like Toronto, or even if you live in rural centers, you may not have access to childcare, or childcare may be unaffordable, in which case, if you are in a two-parent family, one person has to make the decision to stay home. And in a situation like this, where childcare centers are closed, often, and more often than not, it is the woman that needs to stay home. So we need we need childcare in this country. I mean, we can talk all we want about a recovery, but unless we get women back to work, the mask simply doesn't work. Canada's economy will not recover to pre-pandemic levels unless we can get these women back to work. It's just simple math. Tanya, how do we overcome this patchwork, as you described it, of, of uh, programs? I mean, Quebec is, uh, by all accounts, a pretty decent program, uh, and, and it kind of goes downhill from there as you go across the country. BC actually has a pretty decent program as well. Uh, every time we have this discussion, or every time they attempt to have this discussion between the feds and, and the provinces, it gets into a turf war. And, and it, we're not going to settle this until we finally find some common ground. I, I, I guess that means not just the, the federal government, but the, the premiers of all the provinces have to can come to the same conclusion that, as you mentioned, there has to be a national program and there have to be national standards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, you pointed out it all comes down to money, right? Who's controlling the purse strings? Who yeah. actually takes over responsibility for child care? And does it come from one pot or multiple pots of money? If it continues to come from multiple pots of money, I don't see an end to this turf war. If one jurisdiction is actually responsible for delivering a cohesive childcare strategy, then we will get it done. But we struggle in this country to let go of those purse strings to look at a broader common good. It's actually a miracle, I think, that we ever got to universal health care in this country. <laughs> and thank goodness we did. But if we look at that as a model, we can do it. We just need to we need to relinquish some control in some cases. Um, so that we can look at something that works across the provinces and, and that makes sense and actually provides the kind of support that working people need. And this is, I mean, I, we're talking about women here, which is critical, but it also affects working fathers. Sure. Where are your children going to go during the day? Because if they have nowhere to go, someone needs to take care of them. And, and we've discussed this. I mean, I guess maybe the closest we came was back around 2005 when uh, uh, the, the Paul Martin government actually tried to institute a program like this. And Ken Dryden, I think, was the minister in charge and actually did get some consensus. Uh, they lost the, the election a couple of months after that, though, and that went out the window. Uh, but the excuse that we've always been get getting from governments though tanya is well we can't afford it it's a huge price tag and right now uh we're in a dire financial circumstance we always have been i guess over the last 20 years so we can't do this are they they of the understanding now and i hope they are that we can't afford not to do this oh it's a good question i mean i i'm not an elected official i might have spent the money a little bit differently than we did at the beginning of the pandemic and i I think the canadian government did a very good job at, at putting money to work Quickly, I think there were programs that perhaps we over-indexed on where we should have refocused on things like childcare. So mm-hmm. will they do it? I don't know. They, they're, they're talking about it. I'm hopeful unless they get agreement from the provinces, this thing could get stalled out would be my concern. Uh, but again, I, what I don't think we're talking about enough, we're talking about a she session and a she covery. I don't think Uh, When I read the newspapers every day, there is enough data that's out there that shows people that unless we get these women back to work in meaningful employment where they're not, you know, the next next recession or whatever, they're not flushed out again, uh, our economy simply won't recover. 
And, and I think unless people understand that they will be less likely to want to put their tax dollars towards a child care program. And yet, as you mentioned, there's been research done. I know the Ontario Chamber of Commerce had a very extensive report a couple of months ago uh, that, that outlined exactly what the challenges are going to be here. Uh, I, I'm just wondering if we're going into this still with a certain sense of naivety that, uh, as some economists are suggesting, uh, that when we start to bounce back, everybody's going to be happy. I know doors are going to open again. Um, and everything is going to be the way it was pre-pandemic. And, and that's not going to be the case at all. I mean, as you've mentioned, some people that have lost jobs, those jobs aren't coming back. I mean, there's, there's going to be some differences in the way that these businesses do business, and it may actually be less employees. And a lot of people are going to come I guess, face-to-face with the cold reality that they're not going to do what they did before the recession, and they're going to have to go a different way. And uh, we that has to be part of this recovery, isn't it, to provide those opportunities or the training for those opportunities? The retraining, reskilling, upskilling will be critical because, as you pointed out, some of these jobs have disappeared permanently. Think about our shopping habits and how they might have changed over the pandemic. There are a lot of jobs that were already looking towards automation. You know, they were going to be eliminated because of automation. Automation has just, and, and digitization, all of that has sped up because of the pandemic. So some of these people will remain unemployed unless they can access new skills. So. Uh, funding from government around reskilling, upskilling, and making sure that these women who have been uh, taken out of the economy because these jobs have disappeared can find their way back into something new and more more sound and more stable will be a critical part of this recovery. And I, I fear that part of the reason why, in fact, it's beyond fear, I, I know that part of the reason why we're not talking about this enough is because historically, women's work and in particular women of color their work has de- has been deemed to be less important somehow less valuable somehow less part of our structural economy and we need to change the narrative around that because many of these people are people that we're going to see every day in healthcare situations at the grocery store in all of these places that we rely on as core infrastructure to the economy I kind of understand. I mean, uh, Yal Zinian uh, was actually the first one to coin the phrase of the she mm-hmm. session, but she also talks in, in uh, some of the writing she's done on this uh, of a caring economy uh, as opposed to the real economy. And uh, some people use different words for this. I mean, you know, social safety net, things of this nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, are we ready to embrace that? Because, I mean, the, the fiscal conservatives in the past have always simply said, well, you know, it, we can't be that person. We can't be a nanny state. And, and, and in other words, giving it a negative connotation. Uh, has the shock that we've got through in the pandemic opened our eyes to the fact that this is the reality that we face? You know, again, I I think intellectually people can understand it, but then when it hits their pocketbook, it's something different. So I I think there is a wide range of interpretation of what the caring economy can be. And, you know, as we know, socialism can get a bad name and so on. But uh, we have universal health care and we celebrate that as Canadians as a fundamental value to to our society. I think the pandemic has shown us that we do need a caring economy. We do need to know how our older people in society are going to be cared for, how our children are going to be cared for. And we need some infrastructure in place to make that work or else our day-to-day workers simply can't work in the economy. So define caring economy however you like, but we need some portion of a caring economy as fundamental infrastructure in the same way that bridges and roads and hospitals are infrastructure. These portions of our caring economy are fundamental infrastructure to making workers be able to go to work every day. 
Well, and it's a matter of perspective, too. I mean, your point's well taken. Even those that, that don't think that that should be the role of government are very comfortable with the idea of, of, of Canada pensions uh, for the older demographics as they move out of the workforce. Uh, why aren't we looking after the younger people? In other words, those coming in, and, and that, that includes the daycare program in situations like that. Uh, we do have, a, I, I think, a, an ability to, to embrace these and get used to these. But what it's, I guess the first step has to be the political will to say, look, we're going to do this. I know some of you aren't going to like it, but it's for the common good of the country, and we're going to do this. And uh, I don't know that we've had too many governments that have had that political courage to do this. I, I'm hoping that's what we're going to hear uh, when uh, when Minister Freeland announces her budget in just a few days now. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I'm hoping that's what we're going to hear, too. And again, I think even for those that are skeptical, uh, I mean, there's a couple things we need to do. I think we need to take the... Um, the, the negative connotation about are out of some of these words like socialism or caring economy and so on. And I think we need to apply some economic logic to it. Uh, and again, I would I would assert that things like child care and elder care are as fundamental from an infrastructure perspective as bridges and roads are in this country. And once we start to have that conversation and use data to support that, I think even the most skeptical among us will start to see that without those things, you cannot have a fully functioning, healthy economy. And, and the realization that there's a there's a cost to not doing these things as well, and we've seen that realized and probably magnified over the last 12 months, haven't we? 100%. Well, uh, here's hope springs eternal, I guess. Uh, it's uh, There have been a, enough studies done on this right now that the information is certainly going to be before them. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping, along with uh, you and I'm, I'm sure millions of others across the country, uh, to see some positive action and some sense of cooperation between uh, the federal and provincial governments on something as important as this. Uh, a pleasure having you on the program today, Tanya. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks very much. Take care. Tanya Van Beeson, of course, Senior Vice President of uh, Global Corporate Engagement with Catalyst Canada. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.